Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hello listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves here at 3CR in Melbourne. Uh, You just heard uh, Sally Goldner finish up with her song Above the Clouds by Amber and she had another great show on pansexual topics and this time it was on sex ed and issues of consent, which yeah... So sounded really great, Sally. Thanks for that. Yeah, she has some great content. Yeah, she's every every week at noon on Sunday, so make sure to tune in for uh, yeah some great content by her. So my name is Davita, and I like to personally acknowledge that I'm broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Kulin Nations, and I'm here as usual with my co-host Treth. Yeah, hi everyone. I'd also like to acknowledge that uh, we're on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, and to pay respects to elders, past and present, and just keep in mind what it means to be living on stolen lands and with ongoing colonisation. One of those things that's been in the news recently, I don't know if people have been paying much attention, but um, the Murray-Darling Basin um, plan has been in the news because um, there's been a bit of, I guess, a a lot of uh, First Nations people and people living on the country that are, are really trying to stop any more destruction or any more... Um, yeah, taking in, taking of resources, taking of water. Yeah, um, ruining the water supply yeah, um, yeah. Or, or making it run dry. Yeah, and um, the nationals were trying to put some changes through that would have been pretty yeah, pretty terrible to extract more water. And um, yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a big group of First Nations people, the Murray Lower Darling Rivers Indigenous Nations, who are active on Facebook to speak up about this. So follow this group if you want to read up on their actions and um, water for country and uh, Aboriginal water rights. Yeah, yeah, it's always good to listen to them speaking themselves. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes after yeah, the show. definitely. It's also important because this week is NADOC week and uh, the theme is heal yeah. country. So yeah, water is life. We need it. Yes. Yeah, so um, today uh, Trev and I uh, will be talking about about wild animal suffering. But before that, um, we have a few updates on our Radiothon campaign. So maybe you've heard 3CR has been running this major crowdfunding campaign to stay on air for another uh, for another year. And uh, we have done a great uh, live Radiothon show two weeks ago to uh, to raise money and we haven't quite hit our target yet so we're still looking for any donations and um, you can donate via our um, give now link that's in the show notes and that's also on our social media you can text in you can um, you can text in via 0488-809-855 if you wanna if you wanna um, uh, send a message to donate money yeah and um, yeah, and in light of that, I want to give a shout out to previous people who have donated. And most recently, Catherine Hines has donated $51 to our Give Now link, which is amazing. Thank you, Catherine, for that your was support. Great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, there's also going to be Freedom of Species shirts for sale on the, in the, on the 3CR website and in the foyer here in, um, in uh, Fitzroy. So, yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that if you're interested. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to, um, before we start, I like to also often ask people, you know, what has, what is an animal who has been on your mind recently? What animal have you thought of? Usually it's because we people are always talking about animals, but sometimes the animals get quite distanced 
by that or invisibilized even when we talk about them because it's also always about human issues mm. so to keep them a bit more to the front um has there been an animal on your mind recently or has there been an animal who has left an impression on you so I've been thinking recently about um, where I live in Richmond. Uh, we used to have a fig tree out the front and the fig tree, especially during summer, used to attract lots of bats and flying foxes and you could hear them eating. I could hear them eating from my bedroom. Um, I could hear them flying and flying in and flying away and it was really nice. I loved having them there. And then um, the neighbours decided that the, um, the tree was doing too much damage or potential damage to their side of the property on their garage and they spoke to our landlord and got it removed and it's growing back as a as a bush. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to keep removing it but there's little bits and figs are growing but I guess it's just been on my mind that I, um, I hope we see those bats again and I mm. hope they've found somewhere else to get some food. Yeah. We do have a fig tree in the backyard as well but we don't see them as much in the tree in the backyard. It was mm. the front tree that they were always at almost every night during summer. Yeah. So hopefully the bush will attract them back again next summer, but they weren't here last summer because mm. the tree was down. So yeah, I've been thinking about them a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Always enjoy uh, talking about bats. So <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. Um, so today's topic is wild animal suffering and to give a bit of a deep dive into the to go straight into it maybe you've heard people discuss ideas of um turning predators into herbivores via gene editing or even turning uh, species who produce a lot of offspring who most of them will not survive to um gene yeah gene edit them so they become so that they give uh, so that they create less offspring mm. uh, who have better chances of survival. And these are some outlandish <laughs> ideas that come forward from wild animal suffering thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, they're, they're things that can really spark people's attention and often in a really, <clears throat> I guess, reactive way. People will hear these things and they, they, they immediately react and think, oh, this is a really yeah, extreme suggestion. Yeah. And yeah. What are they talking about? Yeah. Should we should we give attention to this? Should we give money, resources, thought to this? Yeah. And we thought, why not do that for a show? Why not cover this and, and see what they are talking about and what it means? Yeah. So have we got any ideas? No. <laughs> no, no. No. So that's the end that's, of the show. Yeah. <laughs> We've got no idea. Yeah. It's interesting, but no. no. Um, so wild animal suffering as a cause area seems fairly new to me anyway. I, I don't want to declare myself as an expert at all, but um, it seems to have come mostly or at least most recently from the area called effective altruism. And effective altruism has long had a crossover with veganism and animal rights and animal liberation. Not completely, not matched up 100%, but um, one, of the, one of the things that effective altruists have always thought is that um, animal suffering is a very important cause area and especially they've looked at domesticated animals for animal agriculture and other animal exploitation. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of very um, open-minded people in effective altruism who at least understand veganism or or the need to to really drastically limit or stop the suffering of animals for the agriculture system. Um, and from that, I guess... The, um, the, the effective altruism movement has, I mean, it's, most people know of effective altruism through their other cause areas, which is extreme poverty, um, climate change, and existential threats, which include things like nuclear war, artificial intelligence, and asteroid impacts, things like that. But um, a new one that's come out for animal suffering is wild animal suffering, looking at the wild animals instead. And because EA uses research and data analysis and a foundation in utilitarian ethics, mm. which if people don't know, that's the greatest good for the greatest number. Mm. So looking at if, if a lot of people suffer or a lot of people benefit, that might be more important than a few people benefiting or a few people suffering. So that the more it happens to someone or the, 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 the greater the number of individuals that are affected, the more important that thing becomes. So when looking at that, I guess the first thing people look at is they see how many animals are inside the animal agriculture system at yep. any one time. Yep. But then further from that, they've looked into wild animals and 
I guess keeping that in mind and also realizing that there's a huge number of wild animals that aren't living this idealistic utopia that humans often expect that they are. So finding out that there are a lot of there is a lot of suffering and there are a lot of problems that wild animals face in the wild and that they might not have happy lives or at least the majority of the time or some of the time. Um, and that's led a lot of people to delve into this topic of wild animal suffering and what they can do about it, combined with how much the number of wild animals are in the in the world. Like a lot of people think that there's mm. more domesticated animals than wild animals in the world. It seems to be a bit of a, a misinformation that's spread because of looking at the difference between number of animals versus the biomass of animals. So... Not to get too complicated on this, but um, a lot of the animals that are in agriculture are often heavy animals that weigh a lot. So cows, yep. sheep, yep. Um, obviously there's other ones that are less like chickens and things like that. But um, in the wild, there are dozens and dozens more times animals that are a lot smaller in size. That The big mammals and the big animals are, are a lot lower in number, but some of the smaller ones, you're talking rodents and, and smaller, mm. smaller than that. They, they can be really large in number. I know. Yeah, so wild animals, there's so many of them because there's so many individuals and the yes. biomass of animal agriculture is... Is considered to be larger, large, but yeah. that's with fewer individuals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they make up more yeah. weight or more mass. Yeah. I guess and like another good example is that an estimate was there's 50 billion wild birds in the world, which alone is quite a lot. And then when you include other mammals and other reptiles um, you can easily get a, a number that's lo a lot bigger than the number of animals that are in animal agriculture yeah yeah and um, yeah what really when I hear about effective altruism um, to, just to go back one step uh, with because it's so deeply rooted in effective altruism uh, which has this sort of yeah net what is the net positive gain in certain uh, interventions um, but some one example you've given really st struck me is this idea of investing in or donating uh, or putting a lot of money into um, mosquito nets. What was it to relieve a lot of? Yes, that's more for extreme poverty. Yeah. Um, as an example, how that sort of works. Yeah. Yeah. So they found that there was um, there's a lot of children in poor countries, especially in sort of central and eastern africa who still struggle with malaria in in huge proportions and children under five are dying needlessly because of malaria and because of poor treatment in those poor countries like the lack of access to treatment so they found a really cheap way to save lives and to give these children the chance to live into adulthood yeah. was to give out incesticide treated bed nets to keep the mosquitoes that may have malaria away and yeah. let them, because they're especially susceptible when they're babies and children under yeah. five years old, that's when the mortality rate's quite high from malaria. Yeah. And they've found that that is a really cheap intervention that can save a lot of lives for not much money. Yeah, um, exactly. This like this is sort of you know, utilitarianism and effective altruism sound quite abstract sometimes, but a an example, a yeah, example. to like a, an example like this sort of, gets the meaning across like you want to find a neglected issue in which you can do a lot with the least resources yeah. yes yeah, yeah a term they use is getting the most bang for your buck so mm. similar to sort of shopping around and getting the best deal if you were buying something else and you'd want to buy in bulk or you want to get you know you're comparing different brands of something and if, if one's double the price but you're not getting anything extra for it then yeah. it's considered a waste of money or yeah. not as good a investment yeah. so it's finding what's cheap but does the job yeah. and and then there was this. The then there was this. Um, to paraphrase this realization, oh, there's a huge number of wild animals who are suffering, and it has gotten less attention than other areas. So let's look into that. What what is yeah? Um, that's how they directed their attention to um, wild animal suffering. Yeah, because yeah. I guess like people might be thinking that you know wild animals already get attention because there's a lot of attention given to endangered species. There's a lot of attention given to the threat of extinction or to animals of certain you know priority or or animals that that get people's attention, like mm. especially native animals that um, get be seen as cute and fluffy and and people really care about their. Mm, koalas yeah koalas yeah. kangaroos platypus all, all those ones um and so obviously there is 
wildlife rescue and wildlife rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and even vets have to treat native animals um, and try and release them back into the wild. So it's not as if people are ignoring wild animals, Mm. but it more is that people only seem to really care and intervene for wild animals when they stumble upon them in their local areas or they're really projected into the limelight somehow. So because of extinction or because of endangeredness or because of um, their interaction with humans in some way or because of their habitat being destroyed, whatever it might be, Mm. there tends to need to be some sort of reason for us to pay attention to them. And other animals in the wild that aren't endangered and that don't get attention for any other reason, they seem to just exist in the background. We don't notice them. We don't think about them. And we just assume that they're happy Mm. and that they're in the wild living their best life and... Yeah, and there there are quite some um, there's some awful things happening, of course. Um, so what? Yeah, what if you ask yeah. what happens to animals in the wild? Um, it's a bit counterintuitive yeah. to think about it, but we thought we'd give a, a few examples so that people can understand what we mean by what might be some suffering that happens to animals in the wild. So the first one is that male seahorses give birth to thousands at a time. It's quite interesting that the male Mm -hmm. seahorse gives birth as well. Um, But only a few survive, normally five out of a thousand or so. So that means every time they give birth and there's a few thousand, there'll be less than a dozen or a couple of dozen that will actually survive. And the other hundreds, even thousands, will die very young. And I thought that was really interesting because especially when we parallel with a a really more well-known issue, especially amongst animal advocates, something like um, chicken maceration in the egg industry, where they'll constantly be breeding out um, chickens and they will macerate mostly the males because they're not considered useful, they're considered wastage, and so they'll, they'll grind them up at a day or two old. And people are normally horrified about that, I think rightly so, that, that they're just seen yeah. as wastage and, and those lives yeah. are are treated that way especially at that age but then we see in the wild there can be not exact parallels but you can see a some some things in common with the fact that there are a large number of newborns that have a a very bad quality of life and they don't survive very long at all and there is assumed to be definitely some suffering in the reason that they do die um and that doesn't get much attention Mm. in in comparison well we'll be going into the uh, reason why this has less attention because you know with the male chicks in the industry there's this big issue with human human harm to animals that mm. um, plays less of a role with male seahorses maybe um, but uh, some other examples are for example elephants lose their teeth towards the end of their life and yeah. they die by uh, starvation that's really um, sad when I heard that one yeah um, being eaten alive by predators um, there That's was a really common one. Yeah, seagulls—they pick out the eyes of sea pulp, seal pups so they can feed on their remains later. Stuff like that. So there's, yeah. and then there was this also really insane um, hairworm parasite who alter crickets' behavior to go into the water and jump in, so they drown. Which means that the hairworm can procreate in water again. It's insane. Like all yeah. these examples. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Um, that to address these issues, that's where wild animal suffering comes in to actively seek out, um, seek out intervention. Yes, and not, not specifically scale. these ones necessarily, but these yeah. are just examples that once you start looking into all sorts of animal species in the wild, you'll find areas that they're living certain parts of their life or even their entire life potentially in a negative state, like in a really unhappy state of suffering or fear or um, just not having the necessities that they need for life to be able to live comfortably. Yeah. So that's where these outlandish ideas come from. So for gene Mm. editing to herbivorize, what's the pronunciation? Herbivorize predators. (laughs) Um, Or making animals who spawn of a lot of offspring produce far less instead. Um, But yeah, before... You know, in the next segment, we will discuss some of the many criticisms to wild animal sufferings because yeah. there are there's a lot to say about this, and it's in it's insane. Um, but uh, yeah, to give a bit of a break, let's first get into a song. So we're gonna hear "Don't It Get You Down" by Dead Star. <laughs> Don't it 
Kafirs are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafirs.org.au that's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR, community radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard Don't It Get You Down from Dead Star. And you're back to Trev and I in the studio who are discussing wild animal suffering. Um, if you want to get in touch with any ideas you have, please use the hashtag uh, FOS3CR on Twitter or text in via 0488-809-855. Yeah, we'd really love to hear what people think because um, it can be a bit of a, a divisive issue. It can yep. be a bit of a passion. It inspires people with passionate views. And yep. um, I guess it's... Yeah, it's a really interesting topic to. We're we're still discovering it ourselves. I mean, we're definitely not trying to consider ourselves experts or that we've made up our minds one way or the other. We've had many discussions, very <laughs> heated debates, <laughs> which we're going to recreate for yeah. you in this segment. No, I'm just... <laughs> we almost broke up our uh, our radio uh, team. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um. It is going to be really interesting to get into some of the criticisms because it's such yep. a big topic. It yep. really is. Um, so getting straight into it, we, I mean, just in talking about it ourselves, we thought a nice way to think about it is criticism of the philosophy about reducing wild animal suffering in general. So being completely against the idea of trying to help animals that are in the wild versus the criticism of how you will go about doing it. So that there, there are some people that might be completely against wild animal suffering as a cause area thinking animals in the wild, uh, completely happy we should ignore everything that's happening with them and leave them alone Um, and then there are people that think look they probably don't have happy lives or great lives there are some of them that really do suffer a lot but if we try to help them are we going to be able to do that properly or Mm. are we going to cause more problems than we than we try and solve so again acknowledging that we already help a lot of animals in in many ways you know this can be things like putting up a platform for ducklings in the water so they don't drown or calling wildlife victoria with injured or orphan orphaned uh, animals you find um and then yeah but then the extent to this that that comes becomes an issue yeah Mm. so um so we're going to go into i guess the first type of criticisms which is criticism against reducing wild animal suffering at all sort of completely against it and one of those is that people say it's like we're playing God and what makes us so important that we get to make the decisions that impact others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a, yeah. that's a fair statement. I mean, we, we didn't do anything special to be given the power to make judgment and to necessarily interfere with the lives of others. I think that's something that we do have to keep in mind at all times, no matter what we're doing whether it's reducing wild animal suffering or any other part that we're mm. involving ourselves with nature or, or the environment. Yeah, it it um, it doesn't have to be a, you know, it doesn't get you out of helping others. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a free card to then just abstain from anything. And be neutral, and be neutral. when you could help. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a really good point as well. Yeah. Um, I'm more interested in, yeah, it's 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 playing God, but it's I'm not sure about playing God, but um, the right to intervene is like what gives us the right to intervene? Mm. Like we can help we can help others as best as we can, but what gives us the right to intervene on such a big scale? Well, on any way, you know? Yeah. Because um, with um, for example, if you think of animal sanctuaries, they um, intervene a lot in the lives of animals who have previously been um, harmed by the industry by the animal industry and that's you know that's that that intervention is to right a past wrong Mm. 
And so there's different ways, there's different reasons why you want to, why people can intervene. Um, do you want to, do you want to write a past harm by, you know, direct, as a direct consequence of human actions, for example, the, 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 the exploitation in the industry or indirect effects of uh, human like uh, climate change, climate or change, different or forms of habitat destruction. Exactly, uh, animals having to m are displaced because of housing developments. Um, so that can be one reason why people feel like they should, um, they want to help and want to intervene. Want to intervene because there's yeah. already been an intervention, yeah. and we're trying to right what went wrong in a previous intervention. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one reason that people want to intervene um, to right past harms but is it also but then with wild animal suffering comes the thought you know are you going to right past harms or are you going to prevent future harms because that's another nuance in the intervention with a lot of you know for example the um, um, the yeah making pred predators herbivores that's to prevent future harms of species that have maybe nothing to do with us mm. um, so that yeah what um, that's also one it's another way that intervention can becomes a different can becomes a different thing and um when people say yeah what gives us the right to intervene um there's this leave and yeah live and let live sort of assumption in there and it's a very persistent attitude that is also present in me like i have that as yeah. well um so it's it's if we for example if we talk about animal rights what exactly are their rights are there rights that they can live their lives as much as they can or uh you know the best to their the, you know in their own freedom or so that means that we um don't get to harm them or do we also have another duty towards them so do we abstain from something namely harming them or do we have to make sure that everything um, that they can live their life to the fullest, which is also helping them or assisting them in yeah. some ways. And I think one way that can help sort of make more sense of these arguments is to think about them in relation to humans. So, for example, humans, we agree that we should live and let live and we should be tolerant of people that want to live different lives or do what they want to do and they should have the freedoms to do that. But we also think that there's a duty of care and that if someone is experiencing hardship or they're know injured and they're dying they'll get taken to hospital and they deserve medical treatment like that's you know that, that's the way that we have a duty of care as a community to make sure that people can get educated to a minimum level people can can support themselves people aren't just going to be starving to death um if they aren't lucky enough or fortunate enough to have a job that pays enough money you know like mm -hmm. there are these interventions i'm not saying our society is perfect like there are still people that fall through the cracks and it's horrible and i think a lot of us want to advocate for people, to, for, for communities to, to look after each other more and have those safety nets. But I think we can all understand the idea of safety nets, at least in some circumstances, as a duty of care to look after people when they're hitting hard times. Mm. And I think that we can also expand that thought to animals, especially it, animals it, in the wild. It definitely complicates this whole, um, that initial knee-jerk reaction of, no, that's just, that's way too much, you know, mm. it's sort of this sort of, this reasoning does complicate that. Yeah, like, it's like, oh yeah, what? Yeah. When do we just sort of say, nah, it's just bad luck. You know, you're <laughs> mm. just living your life how you want. Versus, yeah. actually, you've had a really rough time, or that's really horrible. Mm. Maybe we can help. Yeah. You know, maybe we can be a safety net for for some that are falling into yeah. really terrible times. Yeah. Another criticism is, as always, everything that animal advocates do is always bound up with um, the criticism that we're anthropomorphizing. Um, for example, now are we anthropomorph? Are we putting our human notions of suffering onto the animal? What we don't know about their lives, we don't know what they consider suffering. We don't know what they, mm. if they're in pain, um, are we reading too much in their behavior from a human perspective? Mm. Um, yeah, could very well be. But there's a. We're going to leave it here for now and go to another song. So that was mostly of what we're calling type one criticisms, which was um, the criticisms against wild animal suffering as a whole, saying that why you shouldn't even intervene at all. And we're still, you know, we're not saying that we, we think any way particularly, like we're not trying to push a certain opinion or agenda or anything. But um, yeah, in the next segment, we are going to talk about some of the other criticisms, which is the way that we're going How to... to 
how to implement if we do decide to help wild animals and alleviate their suffering. And this next song is one of Davida's choices. Um, yeah, that is Lost Myself by Jordan Rakai. Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series, where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002, and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday July the 5th to Friday July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcast. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Thoughts within. armed states are talking big and spending up with no intention to disarm. The Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons provides a pathway out of this mess, and it's up to us to get our government on board. Tune in to ICANN's Banned School to learn more and be part of history in the making. 
It's five online sessions from June to September. Check it out and enroll at icanw.org.au forward slash band school. That's icanw.org.au forward slash band school. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons is a 3CR supporter. Yeah, welcome back, listeners, to Freedom of Species. Uh, Trev and I are discussing wild animal suffering, and this is a. We just wanted to give a sort of an introductory show on this topic. Um, let us know if you're interested in doing another show, because there's so much to say about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know via Facebook, Twitter, using the hashtag uh, FOS3CR, and we'd love to hear from you. So we're gonna go into a bit more of the um, criticisms against wild animal suffering. Um, but now more devoted to how, yeah, okay, acknowledging there may be a problem with wild animal suffering that may that may needs to be addressed. Hmm. How do we go about that? Yeah. yeah. And then there's a lot of criticism in the type of actions that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a major one is, of course, you know, we cannot foresee the exact outcomes in, in, in complicated ecologies. Um that's that's a pretty sort of standard response, and I think it's a really um, valid response as well. Especially when we've seen how much interventions in the past, even mm. though we haven't been intervening with the intention to reducing animal suffering, but interventions that we've done have often spiraled or you know domino affected out of control, and we haven't been able to foresee what would happen, and we haven't been able to foresee what changes to the balance in ecosystems it would, would result in. So I think that's a really, really big one that makes me yeah. hesitant about any intervention, yeah. at least on a wide scale. Um, you know, obviously, I'm still going to help a wombat if I see them on the side of the road mm-hmm. and they look a bit you know, like they're struggling, but any wild scale, yeah. more of these extreme editing. Yeah, yeah. examples. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because... Um, yeah, when there's always like, oh, if you make one species a herb, uh, a predator species a herbivore, you know, what's going to happen to the other species? You know, if it's going to, you know, pop up in insane numbers. And a lot of fear also comes from, for example, in the past experiences with introduced species here in Australia, um, such as uh, camels, cane toads, foxes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's this really real fear of disturbing an ecological balance. Yeah. On the flip side, and this might be a little bit controversial, but I do think maybe sometimes we care too much about the idea of if a species is going extinct or endangered. Hmm. Because while it sounds terrible, it's completely unrealistic for our world to stay stagnant and have the same number of species that we've got now and for none of those species to evolve or change. Because with evolution, you have extinction. And it's a constant thing happening in the background. There's always species that are going extinct and there's always new species that are evolving. And it's a part of the way the world and the ecology is in balance. It's just, it's, we, we can't stop that. And if we try to stop that, that might also cause more problems because that intervention of trying to stop certain species from going extinct when it's their time to go or they're just no longer really fitting in with the balance mm-hmm. of the ecosystem. Obviously, there's differences when the reason they're going extinct is from human-induced or from other Mm. induced reasons. Mm. But philosophically, I guess, getting people to understand that extinction isn't the big scary word always that we should run away from Mm. completely and think that it's the worst thing that could possibly happen because it's happening. Um, It's always been happening. And I feel like with extinction, um, it also ties into another criticism that is often heard, and that is this idea of, you know, human control over the environment like, why are we taking this control, this massive control over the environment? If in the past that has shown, and even now, nowadays, it shows how devastating our impact is on on the environment. And yeah. um, I think that's, for me, one of the biggest things now. Um, I feel like we need to stop doing things first before, you know, trying to get into um, fixing other things. And it also comes with control, you sort of impose a predetermined outcome on the environment, for example, with, oh, these all need to be herbivores, um, which is such a, yeah, I think almost a colonial attitude. Mm. Um, so it's it's that that comes with control. You you know, you, you don't allow for openness. You don't allow for things to develop 
you don't allow f on their own. Um, you don't, yeah, you you impose such an outcome on the environment. So that's one thing. And the other thing, it's it's it ties into issues with saviorism. Like it's mm. it's humans being the heroes, um, which we've discussed in earlier shows as well in a completely different context. But um, yeah, saviorism. Why why do we need to be the savior? Yeah, yeah. Which is also relevant in EA in general. That's a valid criticism of a lot of ways that EA mm. um, comes about and and the interventions or the the programs that they decide to work on is that. Um, that savior mentality that goes along with it yeah rather than empowering others it's a it's a saving others mm. and it's a yeah it's a it's a slight difference in the way of, of framing it and thinking about it but once people are aware of it it can really I, I think it makes a big difference in the way your advocacy works yeah but um the other part of what you just said with um shouldn't we just stop doing the wrong mm. things before doing things that are trying to make things better a a counter to that is that we should be doing both that it shouldn't be an either or mm. and that's probably where i fit on this because i was thinking about with climate and climate change you know the, the biggest campaigns at the moment is we need to stop polluting we need to stop burning fossil fuels and i agree 100 percent. but that doesn't mean we should stop also researching carbon drawdown methods because if we really want to try and do everything we can to address the climate crisis spiraling even more out of control we're going to need to throw everything at it and that's, it's not going to be good enough to just stop doing the bad things. We're going to need to try and find ways to do better things or to, mm. to, to make it better as well. And if we do both at the same time, sort of coming at things from both directions, I think that's when you can make a lot more advances. But it's very, I, I admit, it's extremely frustrating when you're putting effort or other people are putting effort into what we can do to fix a problem when we're not even stopping causing the problem in the first place. Mm. And it's like, well, the, obviously the first step is to stop doing more damage. Um, and I agree with that, but we're not really going to get all seven and a half billion people on the planet to agree to stop doing bad things mm. all at once in unison. So I mm. think we're going to have to work on these gradually mm. in tandem at the same time. Yeah. And also something with control um, that reminded me is um, con consent. Do we have the animal's consent? How do we know what they want? Um, and that's so difficult to yeah, find out. Yeah. Because even with consent, it's not just um, giving them the option, but also working out how much you're influencing what their decision will be. Because we can even see that with, with pets or companion animals or with mm -hmm. animals in sanctuaries, like giving them a, a supposed choice, but it's a limited choice. And it's, yeah, it's it's so difficult to try and get yeah. true, accurate consent with yeah. with animals that that aren't well that we're not very good at communicating with i'm not going yeah, to put on them it's us we, we need to learn <laughs> how to communicate with animals better uh, yeah and that's that's one of this um one of the concerns that i have is that we are not the majority of us they're not in tune with the environment we don't have a place based we don't you know there's no attunement to the people the the animals around us um valuing the environment around us so we don't even speak this embodied language as well as we can. So, and um, that's where we don't, before we do that. Um, so we, we, we're no, we have no way of, of, of obtaining consent because we don't, mm. we, we're not, we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that's a lot really of research different. now being done on, on embodied consent with animals and how, how, how people and animals communicate and yeah in an embodied way rather than just, you know, a vocal uh, spoken words way. Yeah. Um, through their behavior. Through their through, behavior. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a, yeah. So that's another, another issue. And then. Um, well, I guess just to give a good example in case listeners are having trouble understanding what we mean, you know, if, um, if an animal starts to cower away into a corner, it's pretty an obvious sign that they don't consent to whatever's happening and they're trying to escape it. But where it becomes muddy is, you know, if you're, if you sort of, train them to to be used to a response or to accept a response or ex expect a response like if you're feeding them um then that can really interfere with what their real consent is like are they did they really want to come and sit on your lap or is it just because you fed them every day for the mm. last four weeks and they want more food and that's their way of you know they're not maybe they're not showing affection they're just they want food mm. and 
it's it's not going to be as simple as that. Yeah. Like it's really detailed, complicated issues when you're looking at yeah. that sort of manufactured consent or that sort mm. of influence consent and like how do you really get to the core of what that animal wants yeah. without us interfering in yeah. that process. Or mistaking it for love or affection. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot more <laughs> um, of, of um, issues and, and criticisms to go through. It's not going to fit in one show. We just want to let people know we're not going to be able to wrap up this whole topic neatly mm-hmm. in the end of a one-hour segment. Yeah. But, yeah, we're really hoping that people enjoy this introduction to this yeah. concept. If you haven't heard of it before, if you have heard it before, maybe looking at some criticisms or angles that you hadn't thought of before. Um, exactly. We're hoping to get through one more before we wrap it up, which is... When is it okay or not to intervene? Yeah, well, (laughs) um, I... So um, that would say, you know, if you could intervene and it would be a perfect outcome, would you do it? Or are there, you know, if someone needs help, does it mean you will try to help? Um, Yeah, it's... it's, um, For example, taking a native animal to the vet is a way different intervention than gene editing. Um, and there's a lot of theorists, especially feminist theories, who think we don't have a universal, you know, what is owed to some is not owed to others. Like there's a different relationship that that goes on. Different relationships, different contexts require us to do different things. So that's I consider it a very place-based understanding. Whereas you know, wild wild animal suffering or wes <laughs> goes. Um, goes out beyond and and is seeking out and based on abstract principles of calculations and universal universal conceptions of suffering and 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 benefits and net effects um they go out to to decide what is good for everyone whereas there's can be this very place-based understanding of what is needed in a specific context um that gets that gets um overruled with such Mm. an approach yeah um, i was also going to say on that intervening one thing that became topical recently was with my octopus teacher Mm. spoiler alert if people haven't seen it Mm. we have talked about in a previous show but um there were quite a few people that got angry that the documentary filmmaker decided not to intervene two times when he could have to try mm. and assist the octopus that he'd made friends with. Yeah, because she was being hunted by a shark or, uh, yeah, yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, and I think he mentioned in the um, in the in the documentary. Well, it's not; it's their world, you know. It's their world. It's it's not my world. Um, and their intervention, you know, that's actually quite weird because he sought he sought her out. He spent time getting to know her, uh, building a relationship, and then to step back. Oh no, this is her world, not mine. Yeah. That also neglects that he already has a relationship. He spent hours building that relationship and then to say, oh, no, 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 this is not me. That's such a cop-out almost. Yeah, because yeah. they're two-way things. Like when building that relationship, does that also mean then that animals expect certain things from us, from that relationship? Are we letting them down versus us being able to always be in control, which is that anthropocentric sort of view of well, I'm going to intervene here because I think it's best and I'm not going to intervene here because that's their, you know, I'm just mm. going to leave it be and that's that's what yeah. nature's all about. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe are we thinking about what the animal expects of us, not just wants, but also expects from that relationship because... Yeah, or at least acknowledge that you're already always in a relationship and then what you try to do, what you decide to do with that relationship becomes, um, becomes uh, yeah, the next question. Um, but that was a bit of a, a bit of a rant. Um, I think we um, we need to wrap up. Um, yeah, but I just wanted to quickly remark that these sort of discussions always remind me of my philosophy lessons at high school <laughs> in, uh, some years ago, where you know you sort of feel like you know a lot about one topic and say no, no, this is completely wrong, and then you start thinking about it more in depthly, and it's like. I don't know anymore what I think about this, <laughs> but I still feel it's wrong, but I don't know why. And I need to um, find the words to express that or change my, yeah, change my uh, understanding. Um, yeah, so we hope that um, after this show, listeners will understand where, you know, wild animal suffering advocates are coming from. And um, we hope that we have some, com- yeah, complicated some of these ideas. 
Um, yeah, so we'll be back next week with another Freedom of Species show. Um, I think Nick yeah. will be on. Uh, in the meantime, get in touch with Freedom of Species on Facebook at FOS Radio on Twitter. Um, email us, freedomofspecies at gmail.com. Uh, or look us up on Instagram. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Next up is a Rotations music show. So stay tuned for an hour of music. And um, all of our shows are also uploaded as podcasts. So you can catch missed shows or listen back to them whenever you like. Now we're going to hear... Final song yeah. is a local band who has at least one vegan in their band. Um, I'm not sure exactly about <laughs> how many or the others, but... I thought the band name was quite apt for this show. The band name is World Sick and this song's <laughs> called Shower.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.